Um, so today we are learning about Haggai. Um, it's a pretty short one, only two chapters, so we may actually just read through the whole thing. <coughs> so our context, we know the exact date of this one is 520, because it, if you, when you read this, there's these four prophecies, and each one is very dated. It'll say in the blank day of the blank month of the blank year of the reign of Darius I. And so we know that Darius reigned from 522 to 586, and everything is dated to the second year of the reign of Darius. Um, so at this point, it is the Achaemenid Persian Empire. Um, they came in and toppled the Babylonians, who toppled the Assyrians. Um, and the Persians, for the most part, if you have to live under an evil empire, they're one I would probably choose to live under, if I had to. Um, they are fairly, um, they, they gave quite a bit of autonomy, so you can see all these different numbers. These are all different provinces, or what are called uh, satraps, and so they had these governors who were usually local leaders, um, and especially in our context, the Persians are noted because they let the Jews return to Judea, um, return to the land of Judah after the Babylonian captivity. So they even took over Egypt. Yeah, so this this is the the empire at the time of Darius. Darius is the one, if y'all know history, the Battle of Marathon between Greece and um, Persia um, happened under the reign of Darius. And then the Battle of Thermopylae with the 300 Spartans was in a later war. Um, I think that was under Xerxes. But... Um, yeah, so I mean this massive empire from Thrace, Macedon, and Greece down to Egypt and all the way out, um, all the way to the, you know to the Indus River over here in uh, modern day Pakistan. But that's not as big as when um, Alexander the Great. He had more than that, didn't he? He his empire was about the same. Okay. He he might have gone a little bit farther um, east than the Persians did. And I guess he had more of Greece. Persia never conquered Greece all the way. But he basically just went through and just conquered everything they had. And then died from a mosquito bite. And then it all got split up into a bunch of different smaller kingdoms. Is, is this the same Darius, and I may be getting my history wrong, that mm -hmm. was with Daniel? Or is this a different time frame? Yes, this, this is that Darius. Okay. Yeah. So you have Daniel is still chilling in Babylon with Darius, while this remnant goes back to establish, um, go, goes back to the land. Um, a lot of people think the reason this happened is there were some rebellions at the beginning of Darius's reign. Um, you often see that when there's a new king in an empire. Everyone thinks, oh, is this guy going to be a sucker? You know, okay, let's, let's try to rebel real quick. And so the first couple years of every king's reign... Especially Darius, he was Cyrus's like nephew, or if I remember right, he might not even have been related. He kind of like wrote himself into the family tree to justify his <laughs> reign um, after the fact. But so, you know, these provinces out on the edges were like, oh, okay, let's try to rebel. Maybe this will be a weak king. And so most kings spend the first couple of years of their reign getting everyone else under control. And so it was like, hey, maybe... 
while you're doing this, it would be cool if you let us go build the temple. And Darius was like, yeah, dude, I've got <laughs> bigger things to uh, worry about than that. Um, and, and why is it called Arkham? So Achaemenid is just... Um, I honestly don't know... Um, that's... Because there's been many, many Persian empires. Um, you know, um, so Achaemenid, let's see, name... Of the family of the Achaemenes. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of their dynasty. It's like saying the Davidic kingdom or something. Okay. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's the it's the dynasty's name. And so, because you have tons of different Persian empires um, throughout, from, from this period till uh, even today. I mean, you could say the modern state of Iran, um, or land of the Aryans, right? The people from kind of Central Asian area um, is, you know, part of is a continuation of the Persian Empire. Okay, so we have three characters who are in this book, um, and they're kind of the leaders of this remnant. So this, I think it's. So it's like 42,000 people who are going back to Israel or to Judea to you know, rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. Um, so we have Haggai. That's all we really know. His um, father's not named. His position's not named. Just He's just a prophet. Um, and the root word HGG kind of means to make pilgrimage. And so it makes sense that they're kind of making this pilgrimage, going back to um, the land. Then you have Zerubbabel, who is the governor of Judah. So as I talked about, or, yeah, Judah. Um, you know, the Persian really loved to delegate and empower local leaders. Um, and so he is actually in the Davidic line, um, in the dynasties. So... Um, Jehoiakim, the second to last king of Judah, was his grandfather, Zedekiah. Um, the last king of Judah was his great-great-uncle, or Jehoiakim's uncle. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very, very close when we think about this. You know, the Babylonian captivity, the exile, wasn't really that long. Um, basically, it was just a generation and a half, um, maybe two generations long. So that they, they still remember this stuff. You know, you still have... Th think about stories your grandfather told you. You know, like it's not that far off in history. Um, and so they, they can remember these things and remember the way the city used to be like. And, and then you have Joshua, who's the high priest. And so Joshua, Zerubbabel, and Haggai are kind of the three characters here. Um, so the structure, you have this kind of four prophecies, these four divine um, announcements. So you have the command to rebuild the temple, um, the coming glory of the temple, the blessings on the people, and then kind of Zerubbabel as this chosen uh, messianic king are um, kind of the four, and each of these divine announcements, when we'll read it, is very like David. We'll say on the blank day of the blank month of 
the second year of the reign of Darius. And so there's not really many other books that do that. So it's really interesting how they like date every single. Um, but also, you know, this is in 520, right? When we read Amos or Hosea, those are in the 8th century. You know, those are 300, um, 400 years before. And so kind of when you think about history, it's much easier to date things at this time just because record keeping has gotten better and literacy and kind of this area of the world, their um, record keeping and whatnot has just gotten so much better. Um, yeah, so we'll do this and then we'll watch the video. So Haggai is mentioned in Ezra 5 and 6 along with Zechariah. Uh, you know, the story of Ezra, right? They, they rebuild the walls, rebuild the kingdom, I mean, the temple. And, um, you know, it says, And Haggai and Zechariah prophesied and, like, motivated people to keep on working. Just barely mentioned there in Ezra. Um, also, Haggai quotes a curse from Deuteronomy 22. And then uh, um, this line right here is quoted in Hebrews um, 12. So... Hebrews 12, 25, See to it that y'all do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape uh, when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And so this um, is the quote, And his voice shook the earth then, but not now. He has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. So that comes from Haggai... I should put it in there, but that's, I think, 2.22, I want to say. Uh, this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude um, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for God, for our God is a consuming fire. Um, so the Hebrew writer, whoever they might be, um, quotes Haggai, but that's the only New Testament um, quote. So let's watch this video. Yeah, we got plenty of time. Um, that will just do what I did, but way, way, way better. <laughs> and then we'll read through it together. The book of the prophet Haggai. It's one of the smaller prophetic books, but crucially important in the overall story of the Hebrew Bible. So for centuries, the Hebrew prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry and injustice, and they warned that God would send the great empire of Babylon to take out Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and haul off the people into exile. And it all happened in the year 587 B.C. But that wasn't the end of the story. The prophets also believed that there was still hope, and that God would one day bring back a transformed remnant of his people Israel to live in a new Jerusalem, where God's presence would live in their midst. Now when we turn to Haggai, the year is 520 B.C., nearly 70 years after the exile. And the Babylonian Empire has recently collapsed, and the world is now ruled by the Persians. Now they allowed the return of any exiled Israel 
Israelites who wanted to go back to Jerusalem, which still lay in ruins. And so under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua and Zerubbabel, an heir from the line of David, and a group of exiles, they all returned and began to rebuild the city and their lives. Remember the story from the book of Ezra, chapters 1 to 6. So our hopes are high, and the future seems very bright, but it's not, actually, at least from Haggai's point of view. The book consists of four sections that summarize Haggai's message given to the people of Jerusalem over the course of four months. He opens by accusing the people of misplaced priorities. And so, yes, they have come back to Jerusalem, but they're spending all of their time and resources rebuilding their own fancy houses, while the temple still lay in ruins from its destruction from 70 years ago. So Haggai asks, are your own houses really more important than your allegiance to God? This neglect, Haggai says, is tantamount to the covenant rebellion of their ancestors, which is why the land is still unproductive, why they've been struck with famine and drought. And here Haggai's quoting from the list of covenant curses in the book of Deuteronomy. And so Haggai's challenging words, they're followed by a story of the people's response. Remember also the story in Ezra chapter 5. We're told that Zerubbabel, Joshua, the remnant of the people, were provoked by Haggai's message, and they were motivated. They started rebuilding the temple. So in the next section, Haggai follows up one month later, and he addresses some problems of shattered expectations among the people. So the temple that they're rebuilding is really pretty unimpressive. It's nothing compared to the glory of the temple Solomon built here some 500 years earlier. And so morale was really low for finishing the project. And so Haggai reminds the people of the great prophetic promises of the future kingdom of God and about this temple. He draws from the earlier prophets, especially Isaiah and Micah, about the new Jerusalem and that it would be the place from which God would redeem the whole world and where all nations would come and participate in God's kingdom, resulting in an era of peace. And so the temple, it plays a key role in God's plans for the future. And Haggai calls on the people to work in hope despite the disappointing circumstances. In the third section, Haggai follows up two months later with a call to covenant faithfulness. And he engages some priests in a conversation about ritual purity. Remember all the key ideas from the book of Leviticus. So he says, if someone goes and touches a dead body and becomes ritually impure or marked by death, and then they go and touch some food, is that food impure too? And the priests, knowing the book of Leviticus, say, yes, it's impure. And then Haggai turns this into a parable. He says, this is how it is with the people of Israel and what they're putting their hands to in rebuilding the temple. If the current generation doesn't humble themselves, if they don't turn from injustice and apathy, then Haggai says whatever they build with their hands, including this new temple, will be impure too. Haggai's challenge is that it's only by true repentance and covenant faithfulness that their building efforts will result in God bringing his kingdom and blessing. And so, in a sense, Israel's future lay in their hands. God's waiting for his people to be faithful. And so the choice that Haggai's laying before the exiled generation is very similar to the challenge Moses gave the wilderness generation before entering the land. Their obedience will lead to blessing and success, while faithlessness will lead to ruin. The book concludes with Haggai's summary of the future hope of God's kingdom. He's going to make the new Jerusalem the center of his glorious international kingdom. And from there, he will confront and defeat evil among the nations. He reminds people of the defeat of Pharaoh's army in the Exodus story. God will fulfill here his promise to David and establish the king from his line. And in Haggai's day, that was represented by Zerubbabel. 
And so the book ends with the choice of a bright future just hanging there. So the question is, will Haggai's generation be faithful to God? Will they experience the fulfillment of all these promises? And Zerubbabel, will he be faithful? Will he turn out to be the Messianic king? And you have to just keep reading into the final two books of the prophets, Zechariah and Malachi, to find out. But you can see how this little book contains a great challenge to every generation of God's people, that our choices really matter. And that the faithfulness and obedience of God's people is part of how God has chosen to work out his purposes in the world. And so this surprising truth should motivate humility and action in God's people as they look forward to God's coming kingdom. And that is the message of the book of Haggai. Those videos are so good. <laughs> they just do such a great job. Um, so yeah, it's just 10.20. So let's read through um, together. Let's see. Um, so there's four prophecies. Um, are there four people who would like to read? Anyone want to take the first one? David? In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people, this, is, this people, this people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for y'all and yourselves sorry, Rosemary for saying that. <laughs> it is time for y'all yourselves to dwell in y'all's paneled houses while this house lies desolate. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider y'all's ways. Y'all have sown much, but harvest little. Y'all eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. Y'all drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. Y'all put on clothing, but there is not there is no one warm enough. And he who earns earns wages for to put into a pur a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider y'all's ways, go up to the mountain, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it, and be glorified, says the Lord. Y'all look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When y'all bring it home, I blow it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because my house, which lies desolate, while each of y'all built, runs to his own house. Therefore, because of y'all, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the word of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with y'all, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirs up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. 
and they came and worked on the house of the, of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month of the second year of Darius the king. <laughs> Thank you. Um, they sure want us to make sure we know who <laughs> Joshua's daddy is. <laughs> I guess, but I guess that's just like saying his last name. So, does this tie into Nehemiah? Um, it ties into Ezra. Ezra, okay. So, yeah, so if we look... Um, Nehemiah was the wall, wasn't it, when they built the wall? I think so. I, I get them confused. Um, it's Nehemiah 5. So, yeah, when the prophets, Haggai and the... When the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Iddo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of, and Joshua, son of, arose and began to rebuild the house of God which was in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them and supporting them. Yeah, I think you're correct. I think Nehemiah was the cupbearer who was concerned because they had been rebuilding their city mm-hmm. and there was nothing to protect it. That's when they yeah. asked. Okay. And then... I've got a question too. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm cheating, I'm looking at my notes here. In my office, yeah, now so go I ahead. I have this memorized. Uh, this is set in 520 B.C. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah came back in 440 B.C. Mm-hmm. So Nehemiah came back like 80 years later yeah. to rebuild the walls. Then this remnant came to start rebuilding. So there were several remnants mm-hmm. coming back. Se- several I never, waves. I never really understood that to tell you the truth yeah that's interesting um but i I guess it's like you know this was the first brave people (laughs) who left to go back and then it's like you know oh well that's they actually did a good job maybe we want to move back (laughs) get a part of that action too um it was it's mentioned in six too um There we go, yeah. And then the elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophecying of Haggai and Zechariah, and they finished, yeah. Um, So would someone like to read the second um, prophecy for us? On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among y'all who saw the temple in its former glory? And how do y'all see it now? Does it not seem to y'all like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. And all you people in the land, take courage, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise I made, which y'all, which I made y'all when y'all came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in y'all's midst. Do not fear. For thus the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and also the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. 
The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Thank you. All right. Does anyone want to read the third prophecy for us? Got it. <clears throat> On the 24th of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold, or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answers, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answers, It will become unclean. And Haggai said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. But now do consider from this day onward, before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord, from that time when one came to a grain heap of twenty measures, there would be only ten. And when one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there would only be twenty. I smote y'all in every work of y'all's hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. Yet y'all did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the nine month, from the day of when the temple of the Lord was founded, considered. Is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree? It has not borne fruit. Yet from this day on, I will bless you. And then, who wants to read the final three verses? Tell <clears throat> Okay. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai. On the twenty-fourth day of the month, saying, Speak to Rubabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses, and their riders will go down, every one of the sword of another. On that day, declared the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Rubabel, son of Sheltel, my servant, declared the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Awesome. Thank y'all. Um, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it sometimes does get confusing, especially up here where it's... <laughs> for you yourselves translates pretty accurate pretty um, easily but y'all y'all selves it's a bit of a mouthful but it does have a little bit of comfort when it says like I will smoke y'all uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I would read that smoke you and like if you're reading that yourself then I smoke you you know like yeah. I, it's God is very personal all of a sudden yeah. like I'm, but y'all comes a little bit different so. yeah and I, I, that's what's helpful for this is you realize a lot of kind of the individualizing language we think in the Bible is actually pretty collective. It's pretty communal. Um, so, yeah, we got some time and we'll just do a big, big group today. Unless you all want to do smaller groups. Um, big group. Big group? Okay. To me, that is very confusing. Which is the whole book. Yes. Yeah. You know, first it's saying 
Mm-hmm. Okay, get it with it, people. And then I, it, I think the people are getting with it. And then all of a sudden, he, he felt God saying, "Well, you're not." I think it's your hearts aren't in it. Is my mm-hmm. take on it, or you're not. So you're not doing the job you need to do. Yeah. And then I mean, it seems like he's he's pleased and then he's not pleased, and he's pleased and he's not mm-hmm. pleased. And it, so it and to me, it's hard to follow. Yeah, and um, the the timeline helps out too because you can kind of see um, how it's going. So the first one, the first prophecy comes, and then it's like a month later they need some correction, and then I think the next one is a couple weeks later, or the next two they're on the same day, the last two, um, and those are more kind of take courage. There's this new Jerusalem, this new kind of kingdom coming in the future uh, but it is kind of confusing right how it's kind of back and forth yeah um, I guess I forget that it's a big space in between yeah it was interesting when you were reading the, the Ezra passage of how they were doing work out of the prophecy of Haggai mm-hmm. almost to say like they're fulfilling that prophecy and so you can imagine we're going to rebuild Jerusalem they go into the city and they immediately start working on themselves, not on the mm-hmm. temple. And that's what God's upset about. And, and it's, it almost has a, you know, that distant cousin relationship of tithing, of like give God your first mm-hmm. and then, you know, take, you know, God will bless you with the rest. And so I, I can kind of hear God feeling those same ways of why are you, you know, you're, you're so worried about your own safety that you're not taking care of my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that kind of gets us into some of our questions. Um, how do we understand the idea of the temple today? Um, is this referring to the historic temple? Um, are we thinking about the, the temple mount in Jerusalem, which is the dome of the rock, a mosque that's on top of? Um, or as Christians, do we understand the temple of God in a different way? Kind of what, what are some of y'all's thoughts around that? I think of the temple as well in the tennis. Mm-hmm. And the base is home. Mm-hmm. And if we believe that's true, then, then I think that challenges us to make sure that we're maintaining that relationship first before we try to maintain the relationships with anything else. Like, I'm going into that next question, but it's it's acknowledging that there is a priority that has to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, if we if we believe that that God is with inside of us, as we are part of the temple, the veil was torn to allow us to be in the presence of God. Then what does that do with our priorities? What does that do with our time that we spend? Are we metaphorically or literally worried so much about our own house rather mm-hmm. than the house that God has given us? Yeah. 
begin to kind of take the personal language and make it a little bit more communal again. Right. Yes, God dwells inside of me, but God can dwell inside of us. Mm -hmm. And yes, I need to take care of this temple, but I need to take care of mm -hmm. the communal temple as well. That's that's what I was going to ask when y'all were saying uh, us and we. You mean us as in each individuals or collectively? Is it the language that, that Haggai is using almost as a callback as well to all the previous talked about when they talk about not take care of the widows, not take care of the orphans, like mm -hmm. that God is still that the anger that God is showing about not taking care of the temple sounds like the same anger of you're not taking care of the least of these. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's not just about making my house look pretty, but his house is probably where the people who were the least that could go mm -hmm. and get freedom, or not freedom, but could go and get nourishment or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of my, some of my favorite passages, um, First Peter, I think it's 2. Yeah, is this, this analogy of living stones, right? Um, and coming to him as living stones, which has been rejected by men, but is a choice and precious stone in the sight of God. So it's cornerstone, right? Y'all also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for this is contained in Scripture. Um... And this is all, yeah. But y'all are chosen as a race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that y'all may proclaim the excellencies out of him who has called y'all out of darkness in his marvelous light. Um, and so this idea, it's also in Ephesians 2, I believe. Yeah. So then y'all are no longer strangers and aliens, but y'all are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom y'all are also being built together into a dwelling in the... In, in the blah, 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 being built together into a dwelling of God and the Spirit. Um, so I just I think those are beautiful um, imagery from Paul and Peter in the way that we see ourselves as like each of us are a brick or a stone in this king this temple right and that together collectively God's spirit dwells within that temple um, I think it's just really really beautiful language especially when we think about like you know, both relationships within the church, you know, like, do you really want to attack another brick of the building, but also, like, ecumenical things, like, what, what all different churches are actually part of this temple, and how do we understand, kind of, um, the, the church universal, the big C church, as this collective, uh -oh. and that you are not the building itself, like you're a part of the building, like it's mm -hmm. all responsible, all the responsibility doesn't fall on you, and yeah. you know, to go into a building term, you know, it even says who the cornerstone is, like yeah. all that 
the corn, we are not the cornerstone. We're not the most important brick in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Not even the second most important. Correct. <laughs> you got the the prophets and the apostles. I think it's interesting that Paul mentions both of them, right? Because um, it's not like, oh, the apostles came and we have this new religion that's totally separate. It's like, no, the prophets, it's the same, you know, it's the same thread. There's something comforting that we don't know Haggai's status. Mm-hmm. Like, just knowing that there was, that he came, spoke these things, and he was just accepted, which is, you know, people say, look at Jesus the similar way, like, who, who is this guy from Nazareth? Like, what's the big deal with him? And you look at Haggai, who very similarly came with no background, no anything, but yet, looking back on it now, has lived out to be a prophet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, sorry, I do find that it's amazing that Joshua, I thought there was only one other Joshua, like Joshua's under none, mm-hmm. but to know there was another Joshua who also was leading people out, you know, and, you know, yeah. another, the other Messianic, you know, kind of mm-hmm. concept of his name. Yeah, leading them back into the exact same land that Joshua led them right. into years and years and years before. Yeah, it's interesting to think about, you know, here you have, Joshua, the high priest, you know, he's he's got the MDiv, he's got the PhD in biblical studies. He he knows what's up, you know. He's highly educated. He probably was educated in the Babylonian court, you know, kind of the the be, I guess the Ivy League, you know, the yeah. center of the empire. He knows all the languages, and then you've got Zerubbabel, you know, the kind of chosen boy um, coming back, you know, going to bring the kingdom back. He's part of the royal family um, and then someone, some guy, we don't really know his status, comes out and says, hey, y'all are doing this wrong mm-hmm. and they listen to him mm-hmm. I think that's that's kind of remarkable is that they didn't say, who is this dude and toss the prophet out as you kind of assume you know, if these um, especially he's fired up yeah, they're like yeah, this, this first uh, chapter here, he talks about because you're not building the temple, I've not blessed you. I've, I've yeah. created this famine. And I don't think we totally get that sometimes today that, mm-hmm. that because because we're not serving, there are, pro- there, are, there are definitely blessings that are withheld from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess moving to the um, second question, <coughs> what, what are ways we see this act out today in Tennessee in 2021? Um, now if we, we think of God's house, whether us individually or us collectively, um, in what ways do we kind of value our own comfort or our own interest over the collective interest of the house of God, the temple? This is kind of a, a little bit different, but I think the, the congregation that I worshiped in the longest, mm-hmm. there were some folks that uh, when their furniture was worn out, they felt like it should be donated to the church. 
<laughs> and we're like, we don't need your worn out furniture, you know. Yeah. You know, God's always demanded first fruits from you know, from, from the very, very beginning. And so sometimes we're kind of metaphorically giving him our worn out furniture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a great example. Also, in trying to judge another per another brick in the same building, and making you know, like, rather than focusing on what you're building, you're focusing on that other brick that's next to you and what they're doing or not doing, rather than just kind of focusing on what we're building collectively together, mm -hmm. and whether that trickles down into like even the people within this church of if you know, they support this mission and you don't want to support this mission. Like it's just it's it's almost like Haggai is saying focus on what's important. Like the building of the temple was important, not yeah. not the individuals that we we tend to be. Which is comforting to me to know that we were not the only nation in the world that has a lot of individuality to it. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it, and uh, I think it's important to think that this this temple, it's just like in Haggai's day, right? It's still being built. the The temple of God has not doesn't have a roof yet. <laughs> the walls can even go higher. You know, we can. There are always more stones being added, um, as this this temple, this kind of new Jerusalem that we think of, um, is still still being built. Which helps us tie in when we pray every single Sunday, this kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Like mm -hmm. we're building the, the kingdom of God here on this earth. Yeah. Thy kingdom come yeah. on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there are, you know, some folks who feel like they know what the temple looks like. They think it's finished, <laughs> you know. They think they're the architect. Um, but no, it's you know it's being built by millions of people in different ways. And, um, probably looks like something from a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> uh, the Pentecostals are building this wing, and they're building this wing, and all kind of all over. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point because we all have our own architectural pattern that we yes. like. But so many different patterns can work. Mm -hmm. And the thing I think about is, it's so easy to be involved in want to get something straight first before you go and do your service. You know, you got mm -hmm. so much at home. And it's hard. It's hard to be unselfish with your time mm -hmm. when you've got. As this world seems so fast that you're trying yeah. to just keep up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost the question is, it's not that you're you know repairing the house, but you're just like trying to stay afloat. Yeah. You know, it's just 
life is coming and keeps going and going and going. And it's like, oh wow, where did those months go? Yeah. It's, it's almost November, what? Um, and so yeah, I think this can be an important kind of call to stop and pause and think, okay, how can we cut some of these things out of our lives? Like, What is actually life-giving? What's actually important? Because there's an opportunity cost, right? You can say, well, this is fine. This isn't a bad thing. But you could be spending that time doing something else. Right. And so the opportunity cost of doing of building the kingdom, building the temple, right? Repairing um, God's house might not be worth whatever kind of harmless thing we spend our time with. Does anyone have any other closing thoughts before we end our time together? One thing, just with what you mm-hmm. said about building the temple, and then it reminded me of where we are a temple. Mm-hmm. You know? God's temple within us. Yeah. And the thing that I think about, since I've retired, I have a lot more time to think. You know, cutting a little bit out of the rat race. Mm-hmm. And that the thoughts in my mind are how much time do we just spend in quiet? Yeah. Because it's a, that's its own discipline. Mm-hmm. I mean, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus is just trying to get out and be yeah. quiet. Yeah. Get away from the masses, and we 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 like to fill up our schedules with stuff to do, yeah. with things, not filled up with nothing. <laughs> we don't say, "Well, this Saturday I could do four hours of just sitting in silence." That sounds that sounds great. I'm, I'm gonna schedule that in. Or maybe 40 minutes or... Yeah, no. Just, <laughs> you got to start small. Yeah. Well, thank you all. Um, next week, George will be teaching about Zechariah, which has some pretty spooky um, prophecies in there, which is why we chose it for Halloween. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Who And also... Zechariah and Haggai were contemporaries. They were, I don't know if they were buddies, they might have been, but they at least were uh, uh, co-workers to an extent. <laughs>